All right. That was a great, great white Norse song, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Take off. It's a beauty way to go. Take off. <laughs> oh, that's right. They made a. They were that's so true. successful with that little. It was skit. a they song. We should song. use that, Barry. Just saying, you should use yeah, that for the episode. Maybe throw that song in. Yeah, briefly, just enough so, so we don't people get don't think I've lost my sanity it. for a second there. Oh no, they they know. They know you've lost your sanity. I can do things at wet without asking anybody, even my Coney wife. Coney Island, world's biggest barrel of and fun. anywhere else your imagination takes you. Okay, we've done that now, Mark. You get the whole show now, you hurry, hurry, hurry. Anything's possible at Disneyland. Welcome aboard the Themed Attraction Podcast, where we take you for a ride through the wonderful world of theme park design, that is. You've just set course for an unmatched adventure of discovery and discussion with theme park industry masters of the craft. I'm your skipper, Freddie Martin, and riding the Ripplin' River with me is theme park designer, master planner, and chief creative officer for Storyland Studios, Mel McGowan. Which way is the river taking us today, Mel? Well, Freddie, grab your toque and crewlers because today we are taking the wise advice of Bob and Doug McKenzie and we are taking off, Hoser, to the Great White North uh, in Toronto for a visit to actually one of my favorite regional theme parks, Canada's Wonderland. Uh, this pretty epic Cedar Fair Park just north of the city is chock full of monster steel coasters that speed lovers from around the world flock to every year. We actually got a chance to hang out with Denusha Ragaki, the park's creative services manager, to talk about the evolution of this massive heritage park. Yeah, that's right. Denusha is a longtime Canada's Wonderland native who started her career in Halloween haunts and park operations. And she's steeped in the park's rich traditions, now giving creative direction to the park's themed offerings and seasonal special events. Alrighty, folks, keep your hands, arms, feet, and legs inside the boat, because this episode is about to leave the dock. Hit it, Sam. So, Mel, it was just a couple weeks ago, we got back from Toronto, Canada, and an epic trip to Canada's Wonderland, an amazing theme park up there in the Great White North. Yeah, that was a pretty uh, awesome benchmarking research. Uh, and actually, we were up there uh, doing some uh, pretty fun, creative, collaborative work on a on a secret new theme park that uh, hopefully we'll get to talk about <laughs> soon. But yeah, what a yes, awesome little side trip. It really was. It was a great side trip. And, and like you, you mentioned, benchmarking, we got to walk from attraction to attraction saying, hey, almost like a catalog, we should, we should add this to that uh, theme park. Oh, we should add this. Uh, it was uh, pretty cool. Well, yeah, these, you know, these, some of these Cedar Fair parks, Kings Island, Cedar uh, Point, um, Kansas Wonderland, and they have to basically absorb kind of most of their annual attendance, basically, you know, during the summer season. I mean, you know, it stretches out a little bit more than that, but I mean, the, the, the actual, what that means is the actual uh, design day, theoretical hourly capacity, the, the pure ride inventory, not just of the, the big coasters, but uh, you know, all the great little filler flat rides and kids rides. Uh, it almost did feel like uh, it was like, almost like a, you know, a ride test showroom, uh, you know, and we were saying, Hey, it would have been great to actually bring our clients through to, you know, help them kind of, visualize the, the scope and scale of some of the different attractions. Yeah, like you said, it is a huge park and it, it's it's just massive. And, and like you said, it's part of that is to be able to absorb the seasonal desires of tourists and locals to get out there into the sun and, and explore and uh, get, get their speed on, so to speak. Well, it, it, for me, it's just an interesting park because I, I know some of the U.S. Uh, anchor Cedar Fair, former Paramount Park, so well the the King, especially Kings Island, Kings Dominion, and this was truly an original take. Um, you know, back I think in eighty eighty, I, I forgot the specific opening yeah, 80, year, but eighty one. Yeah, when they did that, uh, I remember seeing it on the Benny Hill show. Uh, you know, pretty <laughs> pretty brand spanking new, and uh, again, you know, even though it has generally a pretty good international theme, they they replaced the Eiffel Tower at the end of the street with a kind of a Canadian Rocky 
inspired uh, Icon Mountain, which is a uh, pretty pretty impressive. I, I got to say, even you know, it's not exactly Zoltorme Disney Imagineering rock work, but the scale <laughs> of these waterfalls and the fact that they still have cliff divers, uh, you know, Acapulco style coming out. I mean, it's just a it's a great visual weenie at the end of a, a grand World Expo inspired Boulevard. I remember looking at that and seeing those waterfalls and missing some of the great waterfall uh, features at theme parks. That those waterfalls at Canada's Wonderland were really huge. You've you felt real uh, real mist coming off of those things from from you know hundreds of feet away. You could feel the waterfall mist. So it's it's interesting about a park like that that uh, they've got. A bunch of themed lands, uh, really cool themed lands. I I thought, uh, especially in the concept and in the in the idea behind them, you obviously have to have a uh, a old west frontier Canada land. There's uh, international festivals. There's a medieval fair, right? Some of the things that you sort of come to expect, but those over the years, uh, in a in a theme park, start to get rethemed or added to or subtracted from and along the way and and in particular this park which was initially canada's wonderland and then purchased by uh paramount parks and became paramount canada's wonderland and then eventually purchased again by cedar fair turned back into canada's wonderland there's a lot of changing of ownership and changing of ideas of how the park should look and run and then of course ips being brought into it to influence different things um it was it was neat to go into the kitty land for instance and know that this was once a bugs bunny land and then another at another point a hanna-barbera land at another point uh snoopy uh, right. and and so there's this this knowledge that this place may change uh with ownership it's going to change with ip purchases uh, there's a top gun ride there that's no longer a top gun ride it's it's pretty interesting to see those things change over time well and it was great for me I, i've seen the park um you know at least over a decade and and to see the fingerprints of uh some solid leaders like Rafi Caprillion, who uh, yes. we got to work with, uh, you know, on a couple of parks, including Great American Knott's Berry Farm. Actually, one of our uh, uh, projects just opened last week, actually, at Knott's. Uh, so we're pretty excited about the the pizza pie uh, <laughs> factory was the original concept. But um, yeah, just a, again, the the raising of the bar, the, the level of excellence. And um, to some extent, again, this rediscovery of being rooted in uh, the context uh, of the yes. of the Great White North, uh, <laughs> uh, can't hit that uh, high note, man. No, not Sorry. anymore. I'm dating myself. <laughs> well, like obviously, there's challenges in in retheming and refining the look of a park over time, especially as you. But but you you mentioned it. It's like rooted in story, rooted in the location. Uh, what are the challenges of that with, you know, as a as a new park owner or operator comes into a, a park and they're they're ready to make some changes, some good positive changes. Uh, what are their challenges with with doing that? Well, you know, I mean, you know, we're friends with uh, guys like Anthony Esparza, who, you know, were leading some of the charge while they were at That's Paramount. Right. And, you know, when you have corporate mandates to integrate, you know, brands and IPs and, you know, you know, mega, you know, blockbusters like Top Gun. And, you know, you want to get that corporate synergy. Um, you know, it's it's definitely understand the marching orders and trying to do that sensitively, uh, kind of where, you know, trying to at least fit that in a in an area that kind of makes the most sense or secluding it. You know, that presents yeah, right. its own, uh, you know, creative challenges because we know the people behind that stuff, you know, still love, you know, themed environments. They love immersive attractions. Uh, but you have sometimes, uh, you know, a, a rigid framework that you're, working within. So in some cases, I know, for example, um, you know, it was just easier to do like a a generic, you know, Paramount action zone, you know, just say, okay, whatever, we're just going to name random rides, you know, after these Paramount action movies and, you know, kind of just ignore that base original overlay that was kind of a a world's fair or whatever the the feel um, is or was. Um, And then, of course, the challenge, you know, with current Cedar Fair, you know, besides Peanuts, um, you know, when you're trying to be less reliant on those uh, globally recognized IP or the or the flavor of the month IPs that, you know, you know, might have been a hot release 20 years ago. And yeah, it's not not really worth paying those licensing fees. (laughs) I think, generally speaking, the strategy of 
going back to, again, in some cases, their roots or the the local uh, regional context and storytelling that really isn't going anywhere anytime soon. Um, the, you know, part of the key on that, of course, is figuring out a, a capital strategy that uh, you can kind of phase in over time, but kind of at least identifying the, the North Star that you're heading towards so that everything, whether it's a food and beverage renovation, a, a hardscape, landscape, area development renovation, a new attraction, uh, you know, uh, branding, everything just starts, uh, you know, adding up to each other and building up that internal consistency. And again, that, that's a fun part, I think, about uh, our trip where we were seeing those those moves that have been made over the last few years really kind of syncing up quite nicely to where, you know, it actually feels like a theme park again rather than just a, a you know, a pretty uh, county fair. Yeah, you definitely got that sense. Well, our our guest today uh, knows the park by heart and uh, understands what goes into changing and, and updating and creating a, a new space within uh, an established space and and knows how to do it with love. Our, our guest is Danusha Rogaki. Danusha heads up much of the creative work that's going on at Canada's Wonderland these days, whether it's adding new attractions and, and keeping the theme consistent or retheming older ones, uh, she's she's just really a, a great leader as far as that's concerned, and she's also heavily involved in the seasonal events, playing a huge part the in the park's overall success. Obviously, it, when it gets cold, uh, theme parks tend to shut down, and and they're trying to extend their operating year with so many different seasonal events. So she gets to bring her. Uh, favorite things the holiday horrors and the holiday happiness to life within the gates of one of the world's greatest coaster meccas and now i present to you our canada's wonderland interview with danusha Rugaki. danusha it's so exciting to meet you and be with you here today at canada's wonderland in the Thanks great for white us. north in yeah. the great white north well, thank you for having me it's yeah, a, it's a beautiful day in the neighborhood. Thanks for uh, <laughs> ushering California weather in for us. Oh, uh, yeah. Well, thank you for Toronto. bringing it. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> well, yeah, when we arrived and spent the day yesterday, it was uh, a torrent outside. Mm-hmm. And uh, I kept looking at that, the app saying, but we're going to Canada's Wonderland tomorrow. <laughs> and sure enough, it said it said cloudy. And there's not a cloud in the sky this morning. That was so. a perfect day to be out in the park, for yeah, sure. Yeah, super. We were actually in town collaborating with a, a company that actually designed the park originally. Back in the back oh, in the yeah. day, uh, the sad thing is I don't think there's hardly anyone there that actually you know worked on the the park. And we were, we were saying why aren't we at Canada's Wonderland? Because <laughs> we're literally picking rides and yeah, Fine Park. And why why aren't we actually you know test driving? You know, yeah, the, the that, rides that, the that's absolutely true. As we were walking through, we said this one would be perfect for this, and this one would be perfect for that. It was almost like we were going shopping at Canada's Wonderland for <laughs> yeah. cool attractions for another park, <laughs> even better than the IAPA show floor. So. Oh yeah, yeah and you can right. see people enjoying it too in real exactly. time and everything yeah, so it's that's perfect right. yeah. especially blue sky sunny weather here oh yeah it's great Georgia. beautiful hey would you mind telling us just a little bit about how you came to Canada's Wonderland and sort of developed into your role that you have today. Sure. So I started our very first year of Halloween Haunt, which was Fear Fest back then in 2005. And I was actually a monster for a Halloween event. <laughs> Do you uh, remember what your monster looked like? Uh, I was in the rock and scare area. So I had like ripped up jeans. I was kind of like a... Like Pat Benatar. Yeah, like heavy metal <laughs> zombie kind That's of That's great. And I got to be an Atmo performer, which I didn't know at the time because it was a brand new position. But it was a very coveted position because it meant you weren't in a haunted house and you could move around and um, uh, it was great. It was amazing being outside. I had the live music going all the time. What and, a great uh, fun job. It was amazing. I was a student and uh, it was a perfect sort of student job. It was like a five week contract and it was amazing. And the following year I came back. Um, as I said, I was a student. I was actually doing my Bachelor of Fine Arts in theater production at the time. So I had a lot of friends who were working here and I joined the events department who was responsible for building those mazes uh, and the haunted houses and everything for haunt. So I did that for a few years and then the event became so popular that it evolved into something. It wasn't just like, oh, we could throw this together in August. You really need to have a team that's working on it all year round or more or less. So I was a supervisor for the events team for our uh, creative efforts for Halloween Haunt Mm -hmm. and then went full-time a few years later. And the department has sort of evolved. We're now called Creative and Event Services, which is something that we have at all of our Cedar Fair parks. And we look after... Uh, anything like that falls under the creative umbrella. So we'll look at color 
pillars for buildings. We'll do propping for stores. Mm-hmm. Uh, we assist with um, you know set pieces for our entertainment department a lot of the time. And we also our two biggest projects that we do are Halloween Haunt and Winterfest. Mm-hmm. Those are our single two projects that uh, that are are they are the biggest, and we handle everything for that from a creative point of view. So set pieces, decor is a huge thing, especially for Winterfest. And uh, we have a team of about 20 that are here almost year round with us. People are always really surprised to hear that. They think, well, you're only open in May. But we never really stop. You know, we close down in January, really, and have a short break and then start up again almost right away. Yeah, a lot of times with it, right? I I imagine it's the same with you with with Haunt, that as soon as it's closed, you got to start working on next year's. Absolutely. Right away. Absolutely. And that's the it's that's the easiest thing for us to do. And yeah. that was a lesson that we had to learn uh-huh. that you can't just shut down and come back and you sort of you don't even remember what the issues were or what was super successful and how should we fix that or how should we make it bigger. Yeah. So, um, yeah, it's basically we're, we're here year round for it, for sure. And it's uh, an ongoing process constantly. Oh, that's great. So you're the, uh, the Kim Irvine of Wonderland. <laughs> uh, I love the idea of having a creative embedded at each of the parks because I, I noticed that uh, a lot of different regional parks you know especially um, that, that are part of a corporate kind of thing they either have this uniformity or this kind of corporate edict to just drop in you know whatever IPs but there's no one really caring for the the details when, when it is time for a, a a new paint job or a color palette that has yeah. anything to do with anything. It's well, like exactly. a maintenance guy picking like the brightest shade of magenta or, or purple. Their, or their, their personal preference. Exactly. Right. Right. Like, well, I think thing. this yeah. this blue works and that's right. fine. And, you know, there's something to be said for having IP that stands on its own legs and is going to be successful because it was successful over here. And that's great. Yeah. But you need to make it feel organic and you need to you need to cater it to where you are. Like and like you said, the regional parks, that's very important because we have to cater to a certain group of people and those were details that were sort of getting missed at some point and it's it's important and you sort of I don't want to say like trick your guests but you mm-hmm. sort of you you get them to feel a certain way yeah. by creating different environments yeah. and that's that's important and, the, and just the the sunlight the sky the yeah. light is the light quality is so different mm-hmm. and like I don't know. Up I here think of like heroines, you know, versus <laughs> yeah. Yeah, Canada. They're two different, like, absolutely, you know, elevations. You know, absolutely. You know, well, and even, and even things that go along with, uh, so like Copperhead Strike, the yeah. theming for that doesn't really make sense up here. Right. So you could say, hey, we're going to take this amazing ride with this really gorgeous theming. Yeah. And you'd be like, okay, like you wouldn't be wrong in doing that. Sure. But hey, why don't we change that a bit to right. fit our guests, oh, yeah. right? right? So uh, that's something that we Which look we at here. Which we just got off a of Yukon Striker. Yeah. So, and yeah, how Congrats. Congrats. That. It was you. so <laughs> fun. Yeah, kind of speaking of copper, because that copper was a good ride, too. Yeah, it yeah. was a good ride. Yeah. Yeah. Is that newish? One of the newer? Yukon Striker? Yeah. That was 2019. and it felt um, pretty fresh. Yeah, um, and that's uh, it's my favorite ride in the park. It yeah, was, uh, it was It's amazing. Really and all of that, that theming and everything, that was something that my team got to do. So we made those all those mine carts and okay. everything. That, yeah. So uh, the thing that we caught on that was the really cool... Um, Put your stuff in the the ore buckets that moved from the entry to the exit so you could pick up your your sunglasses. So perfectly timed in sync with the... the That was really cool. It was cool. So I... Did that come with the ride? No. And that was like the first of its kind. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And it was a very... It was a huge leap because it's like, what do you mean you want it to go over the track? Like, we don't do that. And it's an industry thing. It's like, no, you don't do that. No. Um, But that was something that was completely bespoke. And our team, not my team, but one of our teams here at Wonder land spent a lot of time looking at it. how do we get the timing yeah, right and yeah. our guests going to understand our listeners, it. Do you mind just describing that? Yeah, sure, yeah. 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 So, kind of confusing. Um, you know, on a lot of big coasters you can't bring any personal articles at all and it's a guest dissatisfier a lot of the time. That's right. Right, you can't bring backpacks so it's, one it's, person it's, in your party. You're kind of nervous about your stuff. For sure, well, you don't want to, yeah, and, and we've done our best to mitigate that as much as possible. Like, yeah. can you have a locked locker right, or can you right. have a bin that only opens when your train comes back right. into the station uh, Yukon Striker is a bit of an interesting one because you cannot bring anything. There's no yeah. there's no little pocket for your bag. Um, it has inversion, so you shouldn't have anything, any loose articles yeah, or yeah. anything like that. And the nature of the ride, 
um, we need to, you exit on one, you enter on one side of the train and you exit on the other side. So you yeah. can't just go back. And the right vehicles are what, seven people across? And so it's, so yeah, it's, it's too far to walk to yeah. deposit your stuff at the exit and then walk exactly. back. Exactly. So other coasters that we have where it's only two across, it takes no time at all. Right. Yeah. But they figured out early on that this was going to be an issue. Yeah. And so what our maintenance team developed was this team of hanging baskets or hanging bins where when it's your turn to turn to get on the ride vehicle you load your items into these bins then you just get themed as uh, themed as yeah like ore carts. carts like it's yeah. all, everything Suspended there is very it's all metal or wood yeah. because it's all like a mining environment and you, you get on the coaster just as you normally would and the bin then travels on a circular track up over the the coaster track and then to the exit area of the ride and so by the time you get off the ride your bin has arrived in a completely different yeah. spot from yeah. where yeah. you loaded it it really is a wonderful piece of you know kinetic uh, yeah. propping theming that actually you know serves a really functional uh, well necessity. and i got to tell you this doesn't happen often but when we put when we put a lot of work into something and that was a lot of engineering because yeah. it had to be safe yeah. and it had to function. We had to figure out how to do it. Yeah. And then to get the timing right too, that was a huge thing. And also you need to have your operators be aware, like if there's a delay on the lift, you need yeah. to make sure that that bin doesn't cycle Arrive out. Right? Right, yeah. right. Um, that's something, it was so much work from so many people. And to have our guests actually see it and go, that is super cool. Yeah, the real industry innovation. And we don't yeah. get that a lot, right? Yeah. right we'll spend right. a lot of time. And if you do things right, a lot of the time, nobody notices. Well, you, you created an integrated separate ride system for people's junk yeah. to get over <laughs> yeah. to the other side. And it's really, great. And you know, we could have said, well, deal with it. You know, yeah, then yeah, don't right. bring a bag, I guess. Yeah. Or somebody or do, has do to lockers. sit there. We'll, we'll take Which a dollar for your locker. Yeah. yeah, don't you don't ride. Yeah. But but figure out a different way. And that yeah. to me is is part of the beauty of what we do, where it's like, no, no, no. Even though it's really difficult, it's gonna be a lot more work, but it'll be cool. Yeah. And the guests will find it handy and, and useful and everything. I like so that you it. noted that it's a guest dissatisfier to sort of make you go over. And you, you see that. People just get upset in that moment. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, 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 they're going to argue with you. Like, But in this case, it's totally flipped up. It's like, hey, that's neat. Well, you get a, a that's neat out of it. And and we often, you know, there's things that I've seen at, at like other that. parks where, like, you have a solution that is crazy, but it's the literal the easiest thing. So yeah. what is the what is the easiest thing you could do? Put your junk in a box, yeah. and then the box has to appear over here. And then reverse engineer that. Yeah. And yeah, figure right. it out. Right. Right. And so I think a lot of the time people don't even see that. It's like, well, the easiest thing is, well, just, you know, put it in a locker outside. But then you've got to put lockers somewhere. You yeah. know, you've got to have them shaded. You have to have someone monitoring the lockers. And yeah. so I think that's a that's a really great example of, you know, coming up with something that is a guest satisfier. And like I said, it's very gratifying that people actually recognize that and go like, oh, my God, that's so cool. Because yeah. it was a lot of work. Yeah. And it was a gamble, too, because we're like... I, in theory, it'll work. Yeah. Right. But um, then- and I think don't don't you have a unload or an, a load? The load person doubles as the person sending the stuff around. Yes. On that front end. Yeah. On the back end, there's a one for offloading the yeah they're just there to make sure that you know if somebody some, is like slower or someone was delayed yeah. they tied their shoe or something and that basket's yeah. taking off again um, because again you want to make sure that that it doesn't get sent around again or that it doesn't fall out or something like that so uh, but it's really amazing that's cool sorry oh, for geeking yeah, out we went, on went, the, into, a, we went <laughs> into a rabbit hole uh, <laughs> right lockers yeah. I gotta interview you uh, Freddie ask you a question yeah You're, I've been here a few times you've lived here <laughs> but yeah your first impression. You, you, oh, wow. Been, you don't get a new theme park don't every day. Don't get a new theme park every day. This is my first time here. Uh, just the expansive, uh, the space that is here really mm-hmm. surprised me. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you when we, we made a right turn into the medieval area and... I thought, oh, that was it uh, for the medieval area. And then it just kept yeah, going and mm-hmm. going and mm-hmm. going. And then the beautiful factor of, you know, the these northern parks with the evergreens and, yeah. and uh, tall trees. And that you've utilized that And the part. big water bills and the water bills. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not allowed to have. Yeah, that's right. We, yeah, you, oh, you're, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We, we spent a lot of water, a water lot of money to keep yeah. uh, trees yeah. looking good. Yeah. And you've got these natural spaces. We were 
walking in the rap in the queue for the rapids mm-hmm. um, ride and saw that there's the it's forest. real forest and real there's there's broken down trees out it's there that are probably a couple years yeah. out yeah and yeah. so and a black and squirrel I've yeah. never seen before it is so, so funny beautiful. whenever we have American guests come up they're like you guys have black squirrels yeah. Yeah. And it's like but yeah, yeah. don't you like no, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we got these beautiful gray <laughs> ones but yours have a gold tail and yeah um, so yeah that fern. that segues you know um, do you mind describing a little bit of the original design intent of the park uh, just kind of because it had really kind of an international flair favor with uh, at least I think three of the original lands with international it did stream. yeah it was um, it's amazing to look back on the archival photos too because yeah. you can and see and even the gorgeous artwork line the, the watercolor renderings in your hallway here and, and we have that in one of our restaurants too yeah. we did that as a project that, that our team spearheaded because we were like let's get some of these amazing drawings and just yeah. as yeah. a side it's note it's your imaginary artwork yeah, it I is it. and you know like part of uh, you know when I learned to draft in university it was we were still learning to do with pencil but nobody does that anymore right, and right. for me personally seeing those hand-drawn, hand-drawn drawn, it's incredible, yeah, incredible. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was very, very heavily themed. Uh, all of these different lands. So we have our international street, um, which each block of those buildings, and this is something guests don't normally notice, but each of those buildings has a different feel to it. So those blocks, we have our, our Mediterranean, mm-hmm. we have our Alpine, and people don't, when you stand back and look at it, yeah. you go, oh yeah, you know what? That does make sense. And mm-hmm. this is like, you know, the Alpine building. So it's got more of that, like, um, you know, Swiss kind of flair. Yep and everything um and everything was kitted out so your food in every area it was all like kettlebell chips it was all very very so you didn't have originally no chinese food in the uh, swiss building yeah yeah, yeah. (laughs) no no, and and that's a great point because we we didn't we had a beautiful i'm I'm giving matt women a hard time about that (laughs) well we had a beautiful (laughs) uh, japanese restaurant called ginza gardens which is now Backlot Cafe, mm. um, but when you go, when you take a step back and look at it, you can see these beautiful pergolas outside, and you go like, "Oh, okay, I, I, I kind of see that still." And they even had there's one, I think it was it, the ride was called Don Quixote's Kettles, uh-huh. um, and then we had um, there were really funny names, which to be honest don't lend themselves well to the Somewhere theme park exactly environment. Politically correct, <laughs> probably yeah, politically correct or a little like really a little obscure. Outdated, where uh-huh. a guest goes like, "What?" I remember like, what the swing of Siam. Yes, exactly. Well, and it's <laughs> like well maybe not anymore and that's and, and that's exactly it like they they had very uh i mean it was the late 70s early 80s when the park was in the design phase yeah. so it was a different world what i appreciate is still some of the old uh murals though on the you know they still uh, got oh, the yeah, tie the, kind of yeah, the swing yeah. Yeah. and so you do find yeah. sort of vestiges left over of that and i mean we had uh they you know in medfair the food was all you know meat it was yeah, all yeah, like yeah, mead yeah, yeah. and like turkey legs and <laughs> i think there was a shrimp station too and it's like i get it a little bit but like most people don't want to eat shrimp necessarily yeah. when they're walking they want popcorn <laughs> or something um and then we had uh we had our world grand world expo area which is a personal favorite of mine yeah. just because of the the era the nature of that yeah, yeah the you know oh absolutely and so Crystal Palace. Crystal yeah. Palace, exactly, and and uh, and the the lighting in there. It's these big globe lights, and a lot of what people see that is tied to those areas now. Like for example, those lamp posts, and the same in Medfair. That's all original. Like yeah. those sort of gas looking. I mean, not gas, but fire. But we use yeah. you know flame bulbs right. now. Those are all left over from the original park because in its original incarnation, it was very like here's where this land starts, here's where it stops. Mm-hmm. And we had our Hanna Barbera land was our kitty area. Yeah. Same thing. Everything and it's one of my favorite areas to look back on because it's pretty much all gone now. The Flintstones and Yogi Bear. And yeah, we was, saw some. We saw the Flintstones uh, structure. There's yeah. remnants of it yeah, there. Yeah, if you, you go, look, you if can, you look closely, yeah. you go, oh, that's Flintstones. Yeah, exactly. Pretty and neat. so it was extremely themed out. Um, one area that never came to fruition, which we're trying to bring back now, is called Frontier Canada, and it was mm. sort of like a Wild West, yeah. you know, frontier gold rush kind of thing. And there's original uh, concept art from, I think it was 1981, mm-hmm. um, that shows that area. And it just never... It was never fully executed. It never happened. Yeah. Um, and so we're starting to bring that back. And we, you know, I think we sort of lost our way a little bit at some point because the emphasis for what we our new product that we we're putting in just didn't follow that same that same path especially maybe in the paramount years and the ginza garden is a great example because you you go into this grand world 1890 world's fair all these beautiful intricately internationally themed buildings and 
with the Paramount overlay, it had to be the back lot, you know, fast oh, food, the exactly. Italian job coaster, yeah. and you know, just kind of and random. Yeah, Top Gun coaster exactly, and all that. Yeah. And you know, it it um, it depends. You know, it depends on who you ask. It depends on who you, what what they oh, like. Sure, sure. Because. There's something to be said for these like really gorgeous IP like Top Gun. Yeah, What's Top Gun? They're very marketable. Well, every, I'm sure the oh, numbers yeah. were there. As far oh as my the gosh, the, the numbers for Top Gun is like slam dunk, you know. And especially now, it wouldn't be bad if you opened that this weekend. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, they they were bringing in all these amazing coasters and amazing rides with these recognizable names mm-hmm. and moved away from from that original theming. Um, which is like I said, it's a matter of personal preference, really. Yeah. Uh, and then you did get a bunch of really cool IP to play with too, which was yeah. another thing. Like when um, I don't think that they had cast members here, but for certain things when they'd open, they'd bring in cast members. Like it was a huge uh-huh. deal to have these, like really. Yeah, talk Hollywood. about a marketing injection. You know, oh, to have yeah. that kind absolutely. Of and I mean, there's these globally recognized IPs. Well, and certain you know certain parks like Disney and Universal, like that's their bread and butter. Absolutely, it. and it works. So yep. why wouldn't it work with a different studio? Yeah. Absolutely. And so that's sort of the way that it went. We didn't lose everything, certainly. Sure. There's a lot that's left over from those areas, especially, like you said, if you look. Like, yeah. if you take a look at our Upper Planet Snoopy area, you go like, oh, that looks like it was a Flintstones yeah, thing. Yeah, there you right. go. Um, you know, and then so, we, and we also had different IP, like our IP changed hands. So we didn't have Hanna-Barbera anymore. Uh, and then we had our Nickelodeon uh, content in for a number of years. And so, again, all of the H, uh, like the Hanna-Barbera, bear stuff flipped over to that and same thing you could tell that it was something else before and then now we've moved over to our planet snoopy so with our partnership with peanut so again it's changed it's changed again um and so yeah like we didn't we didn't lose everything i mean medfair is still our medieval fair area is still the same still original colors but what we've been trying to do at our park individually was the last 10 years bringing back some of that I love it you yeah. know that nostalgia it's so popular now because you know people who remember that era they're the ones who want to see it again and, and they so, want to bring their kids and experience the same thing that exactly the same yeah. Barry Hill uh, our uh, our Soundologist, uh, producer, um, wrote a great book called Imagineering an American Dreamscape. And it really is the, the rise and fall and, and kind of redemption mm-hmm. of the regional theme park industry. He focuses on uh, America, I think, on USA. Yeah. But um, it really is kind of great to see that story arc kind of continue where you're kind of resurrecting. And, and, and part of that, I think, uh, from a business strategic perspective, is about broadening the demographic, I assume, rather than just Absolutely. roping bands of teenage zombies. You wanna, <laughs> even though you were one of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 back in the day. No, it's, it's so true because you can have you know, $15 million coasters, you know, multi-million dollar coasters set up in a parking lot. Which you do, congratulations. No, <laughs> uh, but not in a parking we, lot. We, we, have, no, we have, you have an we have, amazing arsenal here. We do, and, and several of our other parks do, and like like record-holding yeah. coasters yeah. that are really unique as well. Like, it's not just like out of the box and you put it up. And I mean, Leviathan Behemoth, that is an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, know, those are. You know, fair. they are. It's, yeah, they're amazing. Crazy. They're incredible. And they're, it's you look at it, you're like, oh, they're the same. It's like, but they're not. Like, there's, <laughs> They still feel different. So, but you can have, you know, 15 of these huge coasters in a parking lot and people will come and they'll have fun and that's great. But it's only people who like coasters who would enjoy that. You need to start layering on different elements. You need to have flat rides. You need to have kids rides. But beyond that, you need to have this warm experience and you need to have things hidden around corners to keep people engaged and change things. And you need to have... Uh, you know, we were talking about our, our sunshine that we have here. Yeah. Well, put some trees up. Let them catch yeah. the light. Yeah. Let them cast some shade. You need to have layers upon layers of things to make a successful product. And you also need to have, like I mentioned, that variety. So, you know, I mentioned before, my mom is in her late 60s. She doesn't want to do coasters. Right. But I want her to come with us because I want her to have a good time. So let's go do some other fun stuff. Let's have stuff for people who don't want to do rides, stuff for them to look at and enjoy. And you look at something like Yukon Striker, you go down there and people spend time looking around that queue line. You know, there's little Easter eggs hidden around and... You know, do you have to do that? It's just like with the with the bins for the for their bags. Like, yeah, you don't have to do that, but it shows effort. It shows that we're paying attention to what people want, and you're getting a better product at it. Like I would bet you, if you put Yukon Striker, no theming, 
and that the our version right next to each other, the ride's the same, but 10 out of 10 times, people are going to prefer yeah. the one that's been mm-hmm. kitted out and has some theming and some warmth and some character to it, which is well, important. Well, in addition to the rides and the enhancement of the rides, I mean, you actually have entertainment unit capacity that goes beyond ride capacity, right? I mean, Absolutely. you have some significant entertainment venue capacity here, right? We do. We have a beautiful Flyhouse Theater, our main stage theater. It's Canterbury Theater. Canterbury Theater now, sorry. Uh, the name has changed a few times. Um, and it's a gorgeous theater. And it's one of my favorite things when we hire new theater technicians to come in and bring them to the theaters. Like, this is a gorgeous space for your first, like, real job. Yeah. Um, and we seat almost 800 people in that theater. And you're getting ready to start a Cirque? Uh, yes. collaboration for the season? We have an incredible Cirque production company that we've partnered with and they've been with us for a long time and they are world class. Yeah. Absolutely world class. Oh, that's class. wonderful. And they've actually been putting their shows into some of our parks in the States as well because you come in and it, and it's that you know, it's that cute story. It's They're from Quebec, just like Cirque mm-hmm. du Soleil and these are incredible athletes that put on like mesmerizing shows. And you know, I've, I'll watch that show once a day. It's do- yeah, I don't get tired yeah, of it. Yeah, um, so that's our mainstay show and then we also have our 3,000 seat amphitheater where we do changing content throughout the summer so you know years ago we would do a really cute song and dance show uh, that people would like and they'd come and they'd dance in the aisles and everything but they wouldn't necessarily come once a week to see it because once they've seen it they've sort of seen it and our entertainment department looked at it and said, well, what can we do to keep people interested and, and change it up and freshen it up? And so now the program that programming that they do, about every two weeks in the summer, the content changes. And it's it's like a huge variety. We'll have a circus act come in for two weeks and then we'll do um, our acrodunk show, which is like, you know, trick shots with a basketball yeah, net. Yeah. Uh, we have an amazing dog show that comes in. And what that does is pass holders are going to come more often because they saw this show and now there's a new show so let's go back and let's mm-hmm. see that and that's again giving people variety in what they can do here like well, they, talking not, about embarrassing of riches uh, you know not just one two dive shows yes, <laughs> right now. and that's one of those things that like people love uh-huh. it's been here since day one yeah. and you know we kind of it's take like acapulco cliff divers off yeah, the Canadian mountain and, waterfall and we always say it's like it's epic. a little bit higher than some of those divers and that's everything cool. and we kind of take it for granted sometimes and then you take because they'll be it's just massive so unusual, crowds, yeah. Right. Massive crowds to watch. It's just something it. you don't see every day. No, exactly. Yeah. And we go like, no, 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 this is a big deal. Yeah. And knowing these divers, and they work with our Cirque company as well. So these are just incredible athletes that come and do these shows. And we started integrating them into some of our fireworks shows that we do for oh, our holidays, wow. where they do like a fire dive off the mountain oh, and stuff like that. Awesome. And then we have our outdoor, um, our others, like our stunt dive show, we call it, because it's diving, but it's they'll often have like a tramp wall. I think this year they're doing slack line like over the audience. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so they've done a lot of things and keeping it different. Like we have all of these venues are very, very different. So again, if you saw our Tundra show in our main stage theater, that's very different from our basketball show, which mm-hmm. is very different from our mm-hmm. stunt dive show. And so it gives people a full day, right? right? Because we want them to stay for the whole day. Um, and then at night, we have our uh, our light and fountain show on International Street, which is very cool. Um, we've taken a break from doing our projection map show on the mountain, which we've done, and we're hoping to bring back next year. Um, but it's sort of a kiss goodnight at the end, mm-hmm. right? right? It's like sure. it's at ten o'clock, so the park is closing down. You're walking out, and I hope that you guys get to see that that stretch at night because it is magic. That's the awesome. fountain's going; it's really hot. It does get hot here, I promise. <laughs> <laughs> we do have some hot nights in the summer, and you get a funnel cake and you sit by the water and it's just magic it's amazing how do you tell a story when people listen with more than their ears stories change lives they make us remember but only when they're felt and not just heard Storyland Studios builds the impossible. We turn big ideas into reality. We tell stories in three dimensions to stir the senses so you can walk into places you've only seen in your dreams, in real life and real time. Storyland's artists, architects, and artisans take stories out of the imagination and build tangible dreams that leave lasting impressions and memories that endure for years. What's your story? Storyland Studios is themed entertainment, destination design, production, and fabrication. Connect with the team at Storyland Studios to get started building your impossible dream today. Visit StorylandStudios.com or call now, 800-218-9000.
1932. That's 800-218-1932. Storyland Studios, your big ideas, best ally. Well, the, speaking of seasonal, uh, uh, how how do you utilize your space to sort of extend the year, extend the operating year? I, you, you talked about winter. Winter fest. Winter fest. Yes. You talked about winter fest. Obviously, that brings people in uh, ice skating and all of that. But how, what are you doing to ensure that even in the coldest times, you're you're bringing in uh, giving opportunities for people to have family fun? Well, Winterfest is. A huge passion project for me. Mm. Um, we, uh, the Cedar Fair, created this event. I want to say in 2016 it was the first year. It resurrected we did it. the event. Yeah, right? right. Well, and the, that's the other the thing too. Used to run. And people used to come to us, and like I wasn't around back then, but they'd be like, "How, how come you don't do the Christmas event right, anymore? Right. The winter yeah. event anymore?" Yeah. So they brought it back in 2016, and they they folded more parks in as we went, and ours was the last to open in 2019. And we get the question all the time, like, how come you're not open in the winter? And the easy answer is, well, like most of the rides, like they're not going to run in yeah. the winter. So what can they do? Um, you know, up here in Canada, where it does get cold in the winter, we have to make our own kind of fun. Like we're otherwise we're just going to be stuck inside for five yeah. months out of the year. So we're used to wanting to be outside. Um, we used to shut and down. You <laughs> and we have the gear. And we have the gear. We have this beautiful. We have this beautiful footprint. And you're, you're talking about the layers. Uh, yeah, I'm talking about <laughs> you, got, you got your the mittens <laughs> and the snowshoes. No. Well, and, and that's that's actually a really good point because we we know how to do it. Yeah, you know, you know how we, to go outside. We tease some of our American parks where it's like in, in Charlotte. It's like well, it's like really cold. It's like then get a better jacket. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. So it's not that complicated. Layers. Um, you know, your comment before about how big the park is. People underestimate that until they come here. They don't yeah. understand how much space that we have. And so when we were looking at doing Winterfest, you know, one of our favorite things to do as Canadians in the winter is to go ice skating outside because it's it's amazing. And it, it gets all the senses because, like, the ice smells a certain way, mm-hmm. the sound of the skates on the ice rink. And I don't know that you could show me a more beautiful rink than the one that we have yeah. here at Wonderland It's a pretty spectacular Fest. setting, yeah, it's on International Street. Yeah. And if you haven't seen photos or video of it, please look it up. And please, I hope you come back this year for it because it's magical. And like, you know, for Winterfest, what the first year that we opened it, our team had worked on hard production for about 18 months and not one of us was tired of it by the time yeah. it closed. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we have our international street with our huge skating rink over that entire fountain is yeah. covered. We have over 6 million lights in all of our trees. We have over 400 Christmas trees that were decorated and put out, especially for Winterfest. We have incredible, I wouldn't even call them like live entertainment experience, but they're live experiences. You can go in and decorate cookies with Mrs. Claus in her mm-hmm. kitchen. Yeah. And then also, you know, we it's a huge, huge family event. Yeah. But also, again, wanting to make sure that we get something for everybody. Um, when we opened Winterfest, I didn't have any children at the time. I thought, well, what would I want to do? I want to sit by a fire and have a glass of wine yeah. or a, a hot drink and listen to some live music. Yeah. So we created these little pockets of these entertainment uh, spaces all around the park. And it's like it's heaven. It's just yeah. incredible. And that extended our season by, by two months, which is massive. Yeah. Right. And, you know, we joked, uh, as I said before, we worked on hard production for 18 months up here. There was also years of work that had gone into our other parks. So we had a huge arsenal of material. We knew what to do and how to do it. We were doing production here for a long time. We had three hard weeks of like, you know, 14 hour days getting it in and it was opening night and I was standing there and saying, listen, we put on our lipstick, we curl our hair. What if no one comes to our party? <laughs> you know, you have this like little seed of doubt. And then when the gates opened, it was just, flood, you yeah. could not have asked for yeah. a better experience. The and sights, it was the sounds, the smells, and all the people, everything. It's it's perfection. Yeah. And it was such a huge honor to be able to be part of that here. And it's it's. You know, it's it's a slam dunk for the for the for the company for the park. Like it's it's perfect. Yeah, and it continues to be incredibly popular. So. Really, is a great example because I mean, it's less of what you think of a traditional theme park environment. Yeah, it it's is. really almost like an amazing urban environment that you would expect. Yeah, like, absolutely. Yeah, on the Champs say in Paris, yeah. and, and that's Germany, what we tried like to do. Yeah, and you, you know, look the at Chris these Kindle places market. that do those do those Christmas yeah. markets. That's a perfect example. Like we have. Um, about 30 vendors that set up and they do it's an indoor market but it's same thing you can smell the cider you can smell the hot chocolate it's items that we don't sell at the park normally so you are getting a unique experience Mm -hmm. it's not just sort of you know your plushes or your t-shirts it's handmade candles and 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 different trinkets and woodworking and and hand-knit socks and things like that 
And that's what you have to look at. And and to your point, it's not Wonderland with a winter overlay. It's an event, a, a winter event that is held at Wonderland. Yes. How do we utilize these spaces? And so, you know, we can't run Leviathan. We can't run Yukon Striker. So what do you do instead? Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, and figure that out. Well, I remember having uh, lunch with Matt Wimad a few years ago at a TIA summit. I think he had just come over to Cedar Fair, so I guess it was more than a few years ago. <laughs> yeah, it's been a while. But, you know, just, yeah. you know, I was really appreciative of kind of some of the ambition initiative, you know, having come from Disney mm-hmm. and, and Starwood Hotels to, to kind of up the experience level. Can you just talk about, like, things like Wonder Mountain, just, again, the, the drive to do something other than order a coaster out of a catalog? Yeah. You know. Well, um, and Matt was so great for that. And even just looking at his time at, specifically when he was at Disneyland, mm-hmm. he changed some attractions back to yeah. their original uh, iterations. Yeah. And the reason you do that is because that's what the guests want. That's yes, it. Yes. And so you sort of knew and it was already. was perfect honoring the history and the 50th anniversary. And, all, yeah. and it just really was and that's, the right that guy And that speaks right a lot about how he was as a manager. Yeah. You know, that it's like he understands what's actually, what's really important, what's inherently important. And switching over some rides that were doing fine down in California, but making them what they were. Like that was really lovely, and so he he wasn't somebody to just like you said pick a coaster out of a catalog and here build it. He would let <laughs> us run with things, and and even when we were doing our our light show, it was a huge leap. Like when we were doing projection mapping in 2011, no one else in North America was doing it at the time, um, and we said, hey, we think we can really do it. It'll be really cool, and he said, okay, you know, proof of concept, and then figure it out and do it. And it was the same thing with our Wonder Mountains Guardian. It's a coaster that wraps in and out of our Wonder Mountain, which of course is an existing structure. Your iconic Central Park icon. Yeah. And and it was at the time really groundbreaking technology that was being worked into this coaster. And it was a sell. Like we had to say, hey, we think this would be cool. We think people would like it. Here's how we're gonna do it. Please can we do it? <laughs> you yeah. know? And there were a lot of moving pieces to that. You weren't just going over, you know, a lot of the time when you're doing a new ride, you have to go over existing buildings or you have to work around a body of water. This is like you have to go through a fake mountain. Yeah. How do you begin to do that? And so we had an incredible team here who was so passionate about that construction because that was really the huge thing is punching holes in the side of a mountain and and putting the legs in and figuring out because you also you can't see the whole track at once which is another crazy Mm -hmm. part if you think about it right when you're doing a survey and you plant the you know the the marks for the legs for something like uh leviathan sure you can stand there and you go yeah Yeah, that's where the other leg that's where it goes (laughs) but you can't do that with wonder mountain it just there's a wall there you can't do it and so it was a huge engineering feat and then to work in with this tech with this canadian company which i think people don't realize as well it was a canadian company out of montreal who worked with us building this tech for this ride and it was such a cool opportunity and then for them to say and this i remember this very clearly because this was in i believe 2013 we were just starting to get back into that themed entertainment and theming with the rides and they said hey can your team do some carving and some sculpting inside the queue line to look like wonder mountain and it was like yeah. you know the angels started saying it's like oh my gosh yes please like we would love to do that and so that for me really was a was a sort of a hint at how we were going to move forward after yeah, that yeah. it's like it's not just a ride because you could have put that ride in a warehouse mm-hmm. and that's fine sure. But let's use existing landscape. And Wonder Mountain, too, is really, like, mythical for our guests. Right, right. It's always like, what's inside Wonder right. Mountain? Well, there's a dragon, yeah. right? And you have and to go in And he has always been there and since he's always, the beginning. Exactly. Yeah. And so go in there and get his gold. And, and there's a story element to it, which to me is like a, you know, as a theme park nerd, was very exciting to get to be a part yeah. of, for sure. Oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Awesome. Well, it's been a joy to work alongside um, some of the, the new corporate leadership, uh, you know, based in Charlotte with mm-hmm. uh, Ken Parks and um, Chuck uh, Myers and, and can you talk about that kind of evolution in terms of the because it's still fairly fresh right some of yeah, the yeah. You know, corporate hires and the establishment of kind of your own kind of imagineering uh, yeah. division that again that blending of entertainment experience design with the, the ride yeah and as you said it is pretty new it's been the last couple of years we've had a corporate entertainment team for for a number of years um, and what's it's been so refreshing and so amazing to watch this evolution because as artists and and largely that group of people that you're speaking of they come from 
from our parks. They're all Cedar Fair people. A lot of them, uh, including some of the the senior people there, started as like a ticket taker mm-hmm. or as mm-hmm. a show tech. Like we we start by a line staff job and work our way up and do what we do because we like you know eat sleep and breathe this industry and it's been so refreshing to watch this evolution and what's been happening is you know we had about four or five people and not that we were left alone because there was obviously a lot of oversight and everything but it almost felt like we were the last thing on their list you know because well we have our rides and we have this and also oh yeah let's let's bring in our live e like our entertainment team our creative team and, and work on these projects but the last, you know, five, six years, you've seen a huge rise. People love outdoor festivals, mm-hmm. right? They love parades. Mm-hmm. They love fireworks. Let's pay attention to that. And let's make sure that the product is up to par and up to a standard. And so they've continuously been expanding this team and really seeing a need and then filling that mm-hmm. need. And it's been amazing. And, you know, I had a call two weeks ago with somebody I had never met on our planning and design team. And the first like half hour of the call was us just going, you worked on that? Cool. And then he'd ask me something. And like, you know, we were just, you can tell that there's like a bond there immediately, even though we've never actually worked together before or met before. And so they've also integrated planning and design, which largely before, at least at our company, was more about, okay, so here's your new washroom building. That's where this is going and and here it is. But integrating planning and design with our live entertainment is huge because now you're going to say, here's a restaurant and all right, here's the walls, here's the roof, here's where you need to run all your power. But then we can also go, well, here's what the tile has to be. So can you actually move that wall? Because we want to do this. Well, for example, you've got a little construction project Just going a on. tiny <laughs> little construction project out in the middle of our park. We're doing a new restaurant, brand new to us. Uh, it's called Lazy Bear Lodge, and it's been super exciting to be part of because it is the first new project to this scale that is as themed as it is big. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. it's not just like, oh, yeah, make it brown because that sounds like a lot yeah, color. Right. <laughs> it's no, no, no. Put thought into it. And what's the color story here and everything? So there really has been a marriage of that functionality mm. because you need a building. You need doors in the building. You need a queue line. You need a you know point of sale. But make it magical, too. Right. Yes. And there, there has been a, a, a marriage of that with our new structure that we have, which has been incredible. Because I'm the one that wants to go and say, well, it shouldn't just say maple syrup on that. It should say Timberwolf maple syrup because that's a ride we have here. You know, and now someone they're listening now. You know, now we're having these conversations and people have bought into it, which is amazing and so exciting. You know, all five senses uh, experience of of this themed place. You're you're bringing it to life. Well, and what we say is like, you know, you're telling a story. Yep. And whatever the project is, is how you're telling the story. And oftentimes in what we do, it's not literal. You know, it's not like someone's telling you, once there was a barbecue restaurant and some (laughs) bears came in. It's like, no, no, but how do you tell that story with with what the environment looks like? And so, like you said, those five senses of like, okay, well, you know, is it going to be wood or is it going to be tile? And what I think is very interesting as well is we have to have a marriage of, again, that functionality and that, that uh you know what the the aesthetics of Mm -hmm. it because uh oh carpet would be cool because you have like worn rugs in front of your fire you can't do that at a theme park restaurant right right. right? so there you have to have that communication to decide what the end product is going to be but coming up with a color story and having these conversations like we have two little outer buildings near the restaurant there's a a fountain soda station and a, a little bakery it has no, technically they have nothing to do with that restaurant, but they were either new builds or refurbs this year. And so it's like, well, look at what the color palette is for the restaurant. And we need to carry that over. And the conversation we had was, oh, well, you can't do white there because there's no white in the building because we're talking wood, stone, copper, yeah, iron. Right. Yes. right? And it's like, well, white doesn't fit there because that's not a color that would be there. And so paying attention to these little details. Um, uh, and having sort of more of a sometimes you'd, you'd feel like you were just yelling into the ether about <laughs> but it shouldn't be that color and now right. we actually have a, a system of, of having these like higher level conversations about exactly that and you know, we've got a um, pretty similar um, scale restaurant under construction that we've got to design at knots and, and again that ability to collaborate with such a diverse multidisciplinary team mm-hmm. uh, both at the park level incorporated really kind of is awesome to see the level of 
care, concern, intentionality. Yeah. They use the word attention to story. Baking the story into the structure. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because you need to communicate something without saying a word. Yes. Right? And how do you do that? And then the other nice thing about having, uh, you know, a table with more seats at it is because someone goes, hey, that's not going to work and here's why. You know, we had that conversation uh, internally about something the other day and it was one of our technicians actually brought something up that affects our creative department and it was like, oh, that's a very good point. Let's change that. And so it makes the process a lot easier and you get a lot of different views. And I think a lot of the time people think, well, the more people you have involved, the harder it is, which is true sometimes, but it's also like, no, it can actually be like hugely beneficial. And so, yeah, you know, see, I think this is one of the fun parts about having people who are steeped in operations Mm. being involved in the creative part is there's this real native knowledge of what has to happen in order for this to work Mm -hmm. with thousands of people walking through every day. But you want to balance that with how do I make this the most beautiful experience for a family who just showed up for the first time or the thousandth time. Yeah. And, and we also deal with this constantly and and it is a huge battle of, we want to do, you know, let's say we're going to do a a sculpture of a bear for this restaurant and it's going to be out in the park. So it's going to be accessible. So make it as beautiful as you can, but also make it completely indestructible. (laughs) Like bulletproof. You absolutely have to, it's got to be weatherproof. It's got to be safe because a lot of the time we build these huge structures, right? And then people are going to mess with it. And you know, most of the time it's, it's accidental. Like you'll have, um, and we, and this happens anywhere if you have like a sign or a mural where people's backs touch it or their heads the paint wears off like things like that and then you do have some bad eggs who maybe want to like deface it so you need to figure out a way for them to not be able to climb it for them to not be able to chip away at it or carve into it and then you have to make sure it's not going to fall apart and i can tell you it is a huge challenge it's a huge huge challenge especially for something like haunt that needs oh, yeah. to go out and be there for five weeks and then come, come back, back out. Yeah. So you're also talking about, well, how do I make it forkliftable? How do I get power <laughs> to it? There's a huge amount of layers that go into it. And so again, that collaborative effort is like, you can't, you, you won't survive without it. Yeah, speaking of collaborative, so what's, what's your team look like? Uh, how many, what different uh, talents, types are, are, are you working with I have an amazing team I'm super lucky that a lot of them have been with us for for a number of years so we have a very good core team um it's hard to say right now because you know we are at sort of full speed again after covid um but generally uh you know I think we've got about 12 scenic artists who are here largely most of them are here in early April and they'll finish at the end of December. There's a few of those supervisors who are here basically 11 months out of the year. Um, and they're incredibly talented. They're so, um, you know, they're multidisciplinary. And even if they don't come to us being multidisciplinary, they learn it pretty quickly (laughs) here. Um, where my setup is like our team setup is, uh, we have a huge advantage because we're in our uh, park paint shop in one corner of it, which is adjacent to our fiberglass shop, which is adjacent to our carpentry shop. So we kind of have that whole area. So generally we'll have about 20 scenic artists who are here with us for the bulk of the year. I think there's about 12 now. And then we also have um, our own group of technicians and they're what we call like theater or production technicians. So this is like your show lighting, show audio. Uh, We're doing a lot more with video now. So again, they're pretty well versed. Uh, And there's about 10 of them that are here most of the year um and we do have a lot of return staff which is amazing that's hugely beneficial they uh you know they like working with each other and they like the challenge that we have here we do a lot of weird stuff we always (laughs) say it's like we have a lot of weird requests and we have to do a lot of different things what's amazing though is you could go and work in any scenic shop in the world after being here because we have to work with so many different materials right, right. You know, architectural concrete which is not a normal thing mm-hmm. that you work with um you know we also uh, it, it, i'm ashamed it took us this long to find it but there's a product called zoopoxy which zoos use to make fake rocks and coral reefs and stuff like that which is exactly the product we've been looking for <laughs> for like 10 years and so um you know, we're always trying to evolve and, and figure out different ways to do things in a way that uh, make the most sense for our needs, which, again, are making things rock solid and indestructible, yeah. and, but also look really cool. Mm-hmm. That's right? Because great. we take a lot of pride in making sure that, you know, you're not just going to go to Home Depot and see what I put out on, yeah. the, on the shelf. Right. We don't want that. We want to make it a unique experience. Yeah. And so 
um, yeah, my team, I'm very, very lucky. My team here is really incredible. This very portion passionate. of the podcast is brought to you by Zupox. It's <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I, we're obsessed. We're just going to use it for everything. Awesome. <laughs> All the talk of the new restaurants making me really hungry. Yeah, uh, actually. <laughs> we, had, we had lunch and uh, dine and dash to catch a, a plane. But um, what are you excited about? Uh, it sounds like a pretty bright future for for you, your team, and uh, the park. What, any, anything in particular you're allowed to talk about that you're excited about? Um, you know, we, we always have big projects that are on the horizon for sure. And what I love is that the more that we do, the more um, the more trust we sort of get. And not that you know people think we can't achieve things, but it's like no, we can look. We did those bears, so why don't we look at doing right. doing this and and doing more things in house and everything. Um, and it's going to be amazing to see the park continue to grow. There's been a huge shift in, uh, you know, what our guests want to see. And that's exactly my bread and butter is these like themed environments and visual storytelling. And so I think, um, you know, people are traveling again, which is amazing. And I think it's just sort of we're going to just keep growing from here yeah. for sure. Well, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for your time. This has been great. It's super fun to go backstage at a, a theme park. And so thanks for uh, letting us sneak around and see, see what it's like uh, back here. And thanks for welcoming us to Canada's Wonderland today. Oh, well, thank you. It was a pleasure to be here and come back and see us. Uh, I promise it won't be too cold for you. Awesome. <laughs> Will do. Thank you. Well, I think you could see that Danusha is a big fan of her park, but she's also a fan of all the the other parks around the world that we know and love, the the Universals, the big names, the Disneys, and, and that love for the theme park industry and the storytelling that uh, we get to create, it, it really gives her this sort of you get this sense from her that she loves to learn from the peers, loves to dive in in the conversations and then bring all of those amazing experiences back for her guests at Canada's Wonderland. Yeah, no doubt. You know, what I loved uh, is that uh, she was secretly able to share some of the other parks and, and chains that she's a, a fan of. And so just, yeah, beyond, uh, you know, even her home park, which is a pretty, pretty epic park. Uh, you know, she loved Disney. She loved, I mean, she was just such a great uh, it's, it's great to know that in our industry, we've got people stewarding these parks that genuinely uh, appreciate the genre. Yeah, this isn't just yes. business strategy or a, a step on a corporate ladder for some of the people that really are caring for these parks and their restoration <laughs> renewal. So I really got that from her. Yeah, I did too. We we uh, we talked about it in the interview a little bit, but you know that hallway that led into the interview room was just loaded with amazing concept art. It was so cool to see that sort of cherished in there for them. Oh yeah, well, to me uh, that stuff should have been a museum. <laughs> I mean, yeah, the original hand painted elevations and perspective renderings. Uh, yeah, really some great work. Yeah, it's fantastic. Well, uh, the most fantastic thing was that we I survived the day uh, <laughs> because we got ourselves on some big steel. Yeah, and yeah, with enough drama, mean, but uh, yeah, man, that was we got some some good airtime. Uh, sure I know did. we keep saying the term embarrassment of riches, but geez, are you kidding me? Leviathan, behemoth. I mean, yeah, Yukon yeah, Striker. Yukon, yeah. Yukon Striker was my favorite, and I actually don't like a drop coaster. They they get. I'm I, I'm like, come on, don't hold me in suspense. Just let's go up over the hill and go. But uh, you got me in the front row, and we hung out over that that moment of uh, of staring at your mortality for a second, and then <laughs> big drop. That that ride was really really cool. Yeah, what a beautiful day as well. So yeah, it, Blue it skies, truly was. Yeah, it's great. Oh yeah, first it was the first uh, clear day since they've been open, I guess. But uh, yeah, well, I I I just love getting on the coasters. I don't know. Do you have a bucket list coaster? You have one that you've uh, ever always wanted to get on, and it's oh boy, that's to you. a rough one, man. Wait, I've you know I've gotten around. I've gotten I've gotten I know on you've some, gotten around. I've gotten around. I I, I got to say probably. Uh, I mean, you know, just because I've you know won the Disney bingo and hit every other park except for Shanghai. Tron is probably not just for oh, the coaster. Oh, yeah, that's great. Um, and it would be less so if it was, you know, not going to be opening, you know, in Orlando pretty soon. Yeah, definitely right. would love to do that. Um, but yeah, that, that's probably one of the list here. 
I, I keep seeing video of the Ferrari coaster, and I oh yeah, I, would I was there. The I was looking out inside my hotel room. It was right there, oh. and it was closed the day I was there. The, oh, the park to offset the lower attendance. Uh, <laughs> I can't complain. You know, Warner Bros. Uh, you know, Abu Dhabi was uh, right next to it, so I was able to spend the day and focus on that. Um, but yeah, it was rough just staring right at that, not staring yeah, right, right at that, on it. That yeah. big old coaster. Well, okay, so it's still on the bucket list. Yeah, that's Mel, true. the air is getting cool outside. The fireflies are sparking up. What do you say we turn this old leaky boat around and head home? Sounds good. All right, until next time. Thanks, Mel. The Themed Attraction Podcast is hosted by Freddie Martin and Mel McGowan. I hope you know that we don't take your listening for granted. We really appreciate you being a faithful listener to this show, and we're always excited to release new episodes. But would you do us a favor and give us a positive review on Apple Podcasts or over on Spotify, wherever you listen? We would really appreciate it. It'll open up more doors with other listeners, and uh, our community will continue to grow. We want to thank our special guest, Danusha Ragaki of Canada's Wonderland. You can connect with her on LinkedIn or find her somewhere in the park plussing things up to make another great experience for her visitors. Get access to more stories and interviews at themedattraction.com. Start your own profile, discuss the latest advancements, and interact with your fellow theme park designers around the world. Follow the action on Instagram and Twitter at Themed Attraction and join our active discussion group on LinkedIn. Connect with Mel by email via mel at storylandstudios.com or follow him on Twitter at Mel McGowan and Instagram at Visioneer. You can find me at freddymartin.net and follow my adventures at skipperfreddy on Instagram and Twitter. You can also email me at freddy at storylandstudios.com. Our theme music was composed by Rob Watson. Other music provided by The Lost Dogs. This episode was designed and produced by the one and only Dr. Barry Hill. Barry is the author of Imagineering an American Dreamscape, the genesis, evolution, and redemption of the regional theme park. This book tells the epic stories of regional theme parks and the strong-willed visionaries behind them. Some of the stories you may have heard, most you probably haven't, and it is a fascinating tale to tell. It's available to purchase on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or direct from the publisher at rivershorecreative.com. You know, Mel, Barry loves going out on safari with me, but I think it's getting to be a little too much for the guy. The other day, he hopped into the boat saying, We're going to see elephants, we're going to see giraffes, we're going to see hippos, we're going to see leprechauns, we're going to see tigers, we're... Doctor says only I can see the leprechauns. Thanks for listening, folks. 